Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. Straight fire. This is the Wesson Walker Show. Even the crowd knows what's coming next. Wesson Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. We appreciate you sharing your midday with us as always from 12 to 3 p.m. We want to hear from you. I want you to share your NFL playoff takes. 704-570-9610. That's the text line. I'll say it again. 704-570-9610. Usually it's fitty dancing. We'll get some dancing Wes every once in a while. <laughs> but Wes is dancing now wearing his Brock Purdy hoodie. I did not <laughs> I knew it was know. coming to the end. I did not know if he was going to be wearing his Brock Purdy hoodie about four and a half quarters into that game. But Jordan Love misses an easy third and two. Brock Purdy makes plays along with McCaffrey, yeah. along with Brandon Ayuk with a nice shoe late catch to keep the drive alive. He did. And everybody made enough plays to get your San Francisco 49ers into conference championship weekend. They're going to be playing Detroit, where all Carolina Panthers fans eyeballs will be on Ben Johnson and how he calls that offense. The Ravens coordinators, too, will be paying attention to them. And so we'll set you up for conference championship weekend. But I know you're excited, Wes, because uh, it was close. <laughs> Woo! That was a close game. Look, man, they about, but you got it done. They about killed me Saturday night, okay? And <laughs> I, bet I they told did. you, I don't curse in front of my mom much, but I dropped multiple F-bombs. I kid you not. I kid you game. not. I thought during the game, I was like, this is what we hear from Wes during the high stakes games. Yeah. It's I usually don't curse like that yeah. unless I'm watching San Francisco in this moment. And yeah, so man. watching them, I said Wes is cursing a lot. Oh right yeah. Now. Yeah. The, the one that the one where I flew off the handles and Bryce enjoyed it very much. Uh he said, Dad, that was worse than the Mayo Bowl. He was like, You were going off. When they when they got the pass interference, it was like third and fifteen, and I forgot number twenty's name, but he got the pass interference. I know what you're talking, and about. it was on the fifty fifty ball, mm-hmm. and he stood there, and it was a simple just jump up and try to swat it away, but instead he decides to wrap his hands around the guy. I lost it. I, I mean, I went on a fitty type tirade where I said, "What should happen to his job?" How many guys did Everything. you fire? Oh, yeah, I I said if they lose this guy, I said Shanahan should be fired. I said everybody should be fired. But that's what you worry about when you get the bye. I mean, a little bit of the rust, the defense was doing something. The thing that had me the most worried was the uncharacteristic mistakes, stuff they hadn't done all year, and then how Green Bay handled them up front. When they couldn't get much pass rush, that's always a good indicator to me as to as to how a game is going to go. And Green Bay was getting to the pass. That's what I'm saying. So yeah. when, when San Francisco couldn't get home on the D-line, I was just like, oh, God. I was like, please don't tell me y'all about to do this. But uh, you want to know what gave me the most reason to be happy about it? It's really bad. It's not like bad. I'm saying so you know how people talk petty? about the script, sure, right? It's petty. Now people talk about the script. Yes. So when I read, I saw I'm sure people saw when it went viral was that somebody at some news station had put on the thing on the script for the person to read about that uh, they were talking about the people that were going to perform in the Super Bowl and they said between the Baltimore Ravens and the San Francisco 49ers. Now, first I was like, well, could have been somebody in the control room that's a Niner fan or a Raven fan or something like that just making a prediction. But I was like, why would you do that? And so when I read it, in my darkest of moments during that game, I said, well, script says we should win this game. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I was like, I think we'll be all right. Oh, I love that. You're looking for solace anyway. Yeah, I was like, I, I said, I guess they'll be all right, man. But uh, Brock didn't play great, man. But that was a game he battled through the adversity, the rain. 
got got it done on the final drive, man. But uh, yeah, man, the Packers are coming though. I definitely will say that they, oh, they on their way. I like that you looked for solace at a place of, all right, well, look, the script says we're going to go. And so you have <laughs> yeah. nowhere else to go for peace because it's all the stakes in the world. Yeah, man. And Green Bay is playing well and San Francisco not playing up to what they are supposed to. And so you need to go to a peaceful place, even if it means this is scripted out. Of course, we're right. going to win. <laughs> and then right at the end there, you tell us that you had to battle through adversity. Brock Purdy did. Now you're full on coach speak Wes again. Yeah, we man. We got it all last week. He had to battle. Now, now we're getting it here we, we got a little bit of the celebration now we're coach speak west again last yeah. thing i'll say about this before we get to some winners and losers i want to go over what happened over the weekend but i know fitty was gonna be hell if green bay won yeah and I so was. i was watching this from i don't know how much of a neutral standpoint like I, I was just a it was a good football game was really interested to see if green bay was going to get this done jordan love looked very good i was surprised with the way that san francisco looked but I did know, of course, with the two people that I work with every single weekday from 12 to 3, that one was very much pulling for one team and the other one was going to be <laughs> hell if they lost. Fitty, how bad were you going to be if Green Bay actually pulled that thing out and they were moving on to the NFC Championship game? I'm not going to lie. Wes might have gotten physical because I, <laughs> I, I had text ready to go because I wasn't going to let it. I wasn't I wasn't going to be to him the way he was to me. Because when my Cowboys got beat, I didn't hear a word from y'all. Had had Green Bay got it done on Saturday night, and up until the four and a half minute mark, I thought they were going to win the game. When they when 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 he missed the third and two or whatever, I was like, yeah, they they they're they're not going to do this. I had text. I was going to call him. I was going to have his mama because uh, you know we've been DM'd about the Cowboys. I was going to just have you know go to her to get him going. Oh, you were going everywhere, oh, Fitty. Oh, this was this is real problematic. The fact that you've even allowed this to go over the airwaves. Oh yeah, is I didn't even get a man a hard time. But see, yeah. that's that's why stuff like that is why he will come in this office tomorrow. Yep, <laughs> with that cheap look on his face when the Deeks go in and okay. do what they haven't done since 2010. Just because of your bad spirit. You're going to get that payback tonight, and you better believe it. Now that I've heard this, yeah, 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 yeah. you better turn your phone off <laughs> if the Deeks get the win tonight. There, there is so much on the line already, and <laughs> the fact that both of you, and Wes has been talking a lot of trash about Wake. Not so much San Francisco. He's too nervous about that. He just wants to get through and yes. finally have a Super Bowl appearance and win that thing. But with Wake, he understands, look, we realize we're going to be the underdog. I'm about to talk trash all right. day long anyway. So it is a very interesting but I'm, dynamic. I'm in my convictions that they get to win tonight. No, this I know. is not just alumni talk. You know, this is, I believe. All right. So so the dynamic between my co-host and my producer is, is very real. It is very interesting to see how it, all of it's going to play out. We got through one checkpoint watching San Francisco beat Green Bay in a tight contest. And now we got to get to the finish line. What happens between Wake and North Carolina? That'll be fascinating to see. We'll talk about that with Les Johns, who covers the Demon Deacons for a couple of different outlets a little bit later on in the show. And we got a packed show. We're going to be doing this all week, going over a lot of the coaching candidates. So today we have Joe Goodberry from Bengals on the Brain, probably the guy you think of for Bengals analysis. He's got the really cool logo with the tiger stripes on the brain, and he's got 100,000 followers on Twitter at Joe Goodberry. He's going to tell us all about Brian Callahan, who has a second interview with Carolina this week. Speaking of very real, that guy might just be your next Panthers head coach. So we'll get the lowdown 
on Brian Callahan. And then we'll bring in Greg Allman at the end of the show, 220. He'll talk about Dave Canales, the offensive coordinator for Tampa Bay, and how much of a fit he might be here in Carolina. The only interview I believe Dave Canales has had with another NFL team for their head coaching vacancy. Let's get to the winners and losers. Let's pull up to the scene, open up the doors. Go ahead, Fitty. Let's get off the bus. We look good getting off the bus. I got something to say. Damn! Kick it! I can feel it. I want to go over the winners and the losers over the weekend, and then we can see how everything else falls in place. Do you mind if I go with the loser first on my end? It's got to be Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills, right? Yeah. The fact that Kansas City had wide receiver problems the way they did all season long. It's the least amount of regular seasons, uh, or excuse me, regular season wins that Pat Mahomes and Kansas City have put up since he's been the starting quarterback, and they still are in the AFC Championship game. And the Bills actually moved the ball on that defense pretty effectively. Some adjustments happened in the second half. All that to say, the Bills end up losing. It makes them the biggest loser, in my opinion, and especially from a player standpoint, Josh Allen. Despite it not really being his fault, you can't fumble and put the ball in harm's way like that. But still, he played well, and Stephon Diggs and Trent Sherfield could not bring in the football downfield on only like two of the downfield throws that we saw. Here's Tony Romo, who was on the broadcast, talking about Buffalo's loss to Kansas City and the stakes it brings to Josh Allen. This is going to be the most devastating loss, I think, of Josh Allen's career because they had things situated for an advantage. They were at home. They worked all year. They were playing great football. They were coming in, and they started the game great. They were running the ball, and for him, he played great today. He played outstanding. Mm -hmm. You know, it's always going to fall on his shoulders, him and the head coach, because he's the quarterback, but it's just so hard to take if you're Josh Allen because it's like, what else can I do? And the truth is just keep going, doing it. You'll break through eventually. Problem is 15 is really good. Mm -hmm. Patrick Mahomes. He ain't just going to let you do it. you got to go win it and take it from him. To be the man, you got to beat the man. Wes, is there any dispute that Josh Allen, not necessarily only because of his doing, but just because of the way that the cards fell, he's got to go through the boogeyman every single year. And he hadn't beaten him yet. Is Josh Allen the biggest loser along with the Buffalo Bills over the weekend? Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, I always say the Bills are chokers. I picked the Chiefs to win uh, yesterday, and I thought that you know, with Josh Allen, it's just something that's not connecting upstairs as far as I get it. There were some drops. I get it that, you know, there were some different scenarios that could have made the outcome different. But at the end of the day, like understanding situational football, you got guys open underneath that you could hit to make it a shorter kick. But you didn't do that because you wanted to go for the gusto. And that's the thing with Josh Allen. He always wants to go for the gusto. And that's why he always leads the league in turnovers, it feels like. So, um, you know, he, he had his mistakes to kick and miss the kick. I, I was shocked to kick and miss the kick. Though. I'm, I'm sitting there like, all right, we're about to. You know, I thought the Chiefs were going to win anyway because I thought Mahomes was going to get the ball back and take him right down and get a field goal. I was like, there's too much time. And also him understanding that part of the game. The more I churn out first downs on this drive, the less time I give Patrick Mahomes to beat me. But he doesn't think that way. And that's the thing with Josh Allen. It's like, when is he going to really understand how to play situational football? And he gets lauded for his physical talents. They're great. I'm not taking that away from him. He's a playmaker. But when it comes down to it in the big dance, man, and I know the one year when they battled in the 13 seconds, I get it. But 
Ever since that moment, man, he's had high expectations with low delivery. No, I, I do feel we can get into this a little bit later. That This is just how we talk about legacies. Did you get past certain points in the postseason? And Josh Allen has not done so. But my God, 13-second game. He delivers, and Kansas City still wins in this game. Like, yeah, he didn't deliver on the last drive as much. They did enough in order to get into a 44-yard field goal attempt, and they could have hit Stephon Diggs. He looked for Shakir in the middle of the end zone, but Deion Dawkins got pushed in his lap, and he couldn't step up into the throw. So, yeah, he should have uh, thrown it to Stephon Diggs. It just it doesn't matter. That's, that's the deflating part of this. It's that even when Josh Allen plays objectively well, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Kansas City is going to get the win, and that has to be crushing on your home turf with your fans crying in the stands. It has to be soul-crushing, and that's why there is not another loser as big as what Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills had to experience this weekend. Yeah, man, six consecutive AFC championships. I mean, I, I said it this morning when I was talking to my boy, man. I said, he's the king. I said, Patrick Mahomes is the king. He's the dog. king. Like, and as that's a 49er fan, you know, I, I keep it a being. Like, I, I think that they'll take care of Detroit. Um, but I respect the hell out of Detroit, man. But that AFC opponent in the Super Bowl, either one of them is going to be, if the 49ers are fortunate enough to make it there, whew, it's going to be a, it's going to be a big time Super Bowl. And the fans benefit. That's the thing, though. We, mm-hmm. We're going to get a great matchup, I feel like, however it turns out. But Mahomes is the king, man. He's a dog of dogs. All I right. mean, did you see him when they did that final kneel down? He flexing and yelling. I was like, yo, this dude is a he's, monster. He's, he's been throwing monster. with pinpoint accuracy. All postseason, two games, but he's been throwing with pinpoint accuracy. Like, how many throws has he missed? Probably three. Yeah. And none of them have been consequential to the point where they've lost. It, he's been ridiculous. And he the thing is, the is you trust them so much. That's the thing. It's like when he gets out on the field, you don't think like, because even I knew with Jordan Love, I said, all right, he hadn't been throwing a lot of picks. I said, at some point, he's going he's gonna to get a 49ers one or two. But with Mahomes, you can't think that. Every time Buffalo scored, I was just like, all right, Mahomes about to go right back down the field and score two. And he was just dealing, man. He was just boom, 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 boom. Like, he's, you know, he's, yeah. you get another bowl or two, I got to throw him over, bro. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, because, because, as Nick Wright says, the, the good news is, like, we could look at the box score and we can look at these pro football reference pages, and that's all great. We can see the history of who won the Super Bowl. What's great about football is that it's also televised, yeah. and we get to watch with our own eyes how players play. And what we see from Pat Mahomes is that he is the king and that he absolutely, skill-wise and talent-wise, is up there with anybody you want to say through a football in the NFL. Rapid-fire winners. You could go with Pat Mahomes. Mm-hmm. This one's a little bit harder than the loser, which was clearly Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. I'll go first. I'm just going to go with Dan Campbell and the Detroit Lions. Pick okay. Jared Goff if no you want about to. It. Pick the city. There are a lot that are under that umbrella that you could pick, and there are plenty of other winners from this weekend, but I do think it's Detroit for having gotten over what was a long reign as a joke in the National Football League, and here they are as a top four team. Yeah, alright, so if I'm going to pick a winner, I mean surprise, surprise, but I'm not doing out of bias. I'm going to pick the guy on my sweatshirt. Uh, I'm going to go with Purdy because the thing about this game was that there was, you know, people automatically say, yeah, when Debo goes out of the game, he's not the same and all this type of stuff. And, yeah, and then for that game, I get it, the rain. That that, that clip of him wiping his hand is going to become the poster child at the combine for quarterbacks and hand size. 
I get all that. But the thing is, is that people forget. They they think that these guys are supposed to go out and throw for 500 yards and six touchdowns to validate. But football is a gritty game. It's a tough game. We know this. And so for him to, like I said, battle through the adversity of that football game, things weren't going his way. But when it was called upon for him to make those plays, he made the requisite plays to get them down there and score that touchdown when a lot of people was like, oh, you know, because when you lose a guy like Debo, especially when you've been game planning for a couple of weeks with him in the lineup, you take him out of the lineup with the sweeps and all the run stuff and all the stuff that they do, that makes a big difference, and it's hard to adjust to that on the fly. So for him to come through hitting guys that we hadn't even heard of, 84, when he caught that ball, I was like, who the hell is that? Uh, Chris Conley. Yeah, when he caught that deep out, I was like, who is that? That was only his third catch of the game. Yeah, so, you know, I just respected what he did, and I'm not going to be like, oh, this is the ultimate drive to shut up the haters, but I thought for him to have the type of game he had where things looked like it could go the other way, and for him to drive them down there, get that touchdown, um, you know, at the hands of McCaffrey, I thought was big. All right, I thought another winner was Ben Johnson, and that's good news for Carolina if – if they can actually land the Lions offensive coordinator. We'll dive a little more into that and get into the guys that have second interviews with the Carolina Panthers on the other side of the break. It's Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Did anything change after the divisional round for you as you continue to look for the Panthers' next head coach? You can text us, 704-570-9610. I like D2 Kicker's two text messages that he sent. He said, everyone hates on Mahomes, but him and Reed prove over and over again they're the real deal. And then he gave us a straight-up rundown on Tyler Bass, which is what I want from D2 Kicker texting in about a kicker. I want him to know more about special teams than anybody else on these airwaves. And he says, as far as Tyler Bass goes, great kicker, perfect for Buffalo, had no offers and was a walk-on at Georgia Southern. He fits the city. It's rough and windy, and I hate it for him. As a team late in the season, you play to have a chance to win the game. His team gave him that chance, and he didn't execute. Buffalo wide right curse. Hate it for Tyler and the Bills Mafia. But what a great rivalry that's become. I just love the rundown on the kicker. Did you see the jersey that the guy had? Uh, I guess it was an old picture, but from back in the day with Scott Norwood, and he had everything to the right. I did see like that. the name and the number. It was <laughs> tough. Was funny. Can, can, we, can we do some broadcaster nerd stuff for a second? Yeah. Jim Nance's call on that was chef's kiss. Queen City icon. It was beautiful. Fiddy, I know we like to nerd out about this stuff. I don't know if you guys were in that same boat with me, but as that thing is pushing right, and he said the two most dreaded words in Buffalo Bills history, wide right, just immediately atop the dome, delivered it perfectly, understanding the moment. I know we've had our problems with Jim Nance, college basketball-wise and other and anywhere else, but this is what he does best. He was excited as hell for this game, too, and they did the back and forth between him and Tony about the 13-second game. 
He was excited for this one, and he landed that thing beautifully at the end of the game. Yeah, I mean, look, I you, you got to appreciate another wide right call in a big game that that cost Buffalo, uh, you know, a, a chance at a win. How much of it did I hear? I don't know because I was doubled over in the in my living room floor, laughing, laughing and cackling at Josh Allen failing once again in the playoffs. So for me, like it was a great call, but I was 10 times more excited that Josh Allen once again reminds us that in the playoffs, he's a failure. Yeah, I I enjoyed the call a lot, too. I always enjoy uh, Jim Nance and those guys, and they were super into it again because of this game. You saw the thing that they did pregame where they went back to the – uh, to Kansas City to reminisce on the game from before uh, the the big game, the 13-second matchup that everybody uh, still loves. But, yeah, his call, I mean, when those announcers can make you really just feel the moment, you felt the agony of the Buffalo fans because, like I said, I sat there and I was like, well, Mahomes is still going to go down and end this thing. But, I mean, when he missed a kick, I was just like, whoa. That's tough. That's that's tough. Now, I, I do feel glad that nobody's killing that guy today because there were pretty clearly other opportunities for Buffalo where you had a couple of dropped passes from Sherfield who had it in his hands on the dive, couldn't bring it down. Stephon Diggs, tough catch. Mm, but in the playoffs, you got to make it, that play. Right, so you run around talking about I'm him and all the trash yeah, 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 that he yeah, talks. Yeah. You no, got to make right. that catch. No, you're right. Yeah. You're right. That matters. When it has been that tumultuous all season long and Josh Allen – throws possible I didn't see any next gen stats on this was that the furthest pass in the air you've ever seen had to be no because I know PJ Walker did I wanted to set you up just to give PJ Walker praise (laughs) but it felt like it it felt like it they flipped the field where it was almost in the end zone I I was blown away by that pass but they end up losing Tyler Bass misses the field goal and the Kansas City Chiefs they go to their sixth straight AFC championship game. Just absolutely ridiculous. All right, let's go to another winner here. Ben Johnson, Dave Canales, even with the loss and even with Baker Mayfield throwing that last interception. Hey, I got to tell you, Baker Mayfield, hell of a season. Winning a playoff game, playing against Detroit, throwing a couple of passes downfield that Mike Evans did connect on. The one at the end of the half was crazy. What a crazy catch. And then the Kate Otten, nice draw up by Dave Canales. And Baker Mayfield and Otten were on the same page there. I thought that game, Wes, which was pretty clearly the focal point for Panthers fans if we're looking for an offensive mind, Ben Johnson, Canales on either side. I thought both did a very nice job. And both are really celebrated. In fact, here's the soundbite from Tim Hasselback talking about the Lions offensive coordinator and how great he was against Tampa. I just think that some guys have a knack for being able to call something when it needs to be called. We've watched enough Lions games this year where you're like, there's no one near that guy. How'd they get him so wide open? I think think sometimes, you know, certain play callers, and sometimes it's being empowered by their head coach to, yeah, be aggressive. You have a trick that you trick play, you want to dial up right now, go ahead and do it. Were you as impressed as I and Tim Hasselback was with Ben Johnson? And I'll even throw Dave Canales in there, too, despite the soundbite not referring to him. Yeah, I was. I mean, I thought both offenses played great games, and I thought Detroit did an excellent job of uh, utilizing their matchups, man. I mean, they took advantage of that Jameer Gibbs matchup, especially when they made that run 
uh, in the third quarter, the last two drives of the third quarter, and then the first drive of the fourth quarter, man. They really took advantage of Jameer Gibbs uh, on those linebackers and on some of those uh, defenses that the Tampa Bay put out there. So I thought he did a great job. St. Brown always finding him. He's doing his work in the slot. So I thought Detroit did what they do as far as the way they normally uh, call the game and the way that they get after guys, man. They they just find those matchups, and they got plenty of players to create that. And plus, they're so balanced, and that's the thing as well. You know, you throw the football uh, 43 times in this football game, and then your two top backs, they get 19 carries uh, in this football game and then 20 total. So, uh, you know, a little bit more on the passing side, but that's because – you know, you start to find, you know, Gibbs out of the backfield and some of those guys. So I thought that both did an excellent job. And then Tampa did what they do. Baker Mayfield hitting those seams, uh, finding the tight ends, getting it to uh, Mike Evans as well. And so I thought both offenses played really well. It's just that Detroit stepped up and made a key stop that was able to uh, put them ahead for good once they got that touchdown and put them up by two scores. It, it continues to go with the theme that I have been abiding by this entire uh, hiring process, this interview process. It's the fact that there aren't many bad candidates out there. So if you miss out on Ben Johnson and you have to quote unquote settle for Dave Canales, Wes, you and I are firmly in that camp that we think he's going to do a good job. Any shine off of Bobby Slowick after a rough no, showing against Baltimore. No. Totally agree with you. You take a rookie quarterback up in that Baltimore to play against the number one squad. The fact that you had him in the game uh, in the first half, they go into that half tied, 10 up. So, uh, no, nah, man, I, nothing at all. I thought C.J. Stroud did make some good throws, but, you know, I'm a big believer in paying dues in sports, and I just thought for a young team like that, man, that's a, that's a tough ass to go in to a number one seed like that on the road and get a victory. Like you're going to encounter a lot of adversity along the way and, and lessons to be learned for down the road. So no, I, I didn't have any issues with uh, the Texans and, and how they went about their business. They tried to exploit the Ravens with the run game, but that's not their strong suit. And the Ravens took care of that and, you know, kind of make made them one dimensional and, you know, they paid for it. Yeah, I'm fine. If Bobby Slowick is the next head coach of the Panthers, I'm not going to point to that game and say, who, I don't know. I used to like them until they took on Baltimore's defense with athletes and first round picks and talent all across the board at different levels, too. Yeah. And you have Mike McDonald, who is doing a phenomenal job of disguising coverages every single week. And Baltimore gets a couple. Well, they, they get a couple of weeks rest. They don't get that much time to prepare because, as far as for the opponent because they don't know. But even still, I think that does matter for Baltimore. Let's continue the Bobby Slowick conversation, at least with this comment. Here's Sean Pendergra uh, Pendergast joining Kyle Bailey last week discussing the one thing Bobby Slowick needs to work on. It's that he gets a little too cute down in the red zone. Like he, There's times this season where he's gotten just a little too fancy for his own good. You saw it in the Cleveland game, actually, the first series. They get down inside the red zone, inside goal to go, and he's trying shovel passes. And he's tra he tries a, an, an RPO with CJ running to the left, and he doesn't get in the end zone. Not only does he not get in the end zone, but a, a, a DB comes up and wallops him at the goal line, and he lands on his head. And I'm like, man, the bro just got concussed two weeks ago. Let's, we don't need to be doing this. Let's just We're down goal to go. Just let CJ drop back three times and eventually find Dalton Schultz or something, you know? So 
if there's a criticism for Bobby Sloak, it does feel like at times he tries to get a little too fancy and a little too cute. So that's Sean Pendergast, by the way, of Sports Radio 610 down in Houston. Yeah, no play caller is perfect. Everybody's going to have a bad game. We could find a flaw for everybody if we really wanted right. to. But we're going to focus on the stuff that matters. Are you good at your job? Bobby Sloak is good at his job. So good, in fact, that I'd be cool with him being the head coach. My defense of what Sean is talking about there, I think it's a lot easier to not be so cute when you have a run game. And they don't have one. Damian Pierce was really underwhelming this year. And I liked him as a player. I thought he showed a lot of good things his rookie season. But eventually, that job turned into Devin Singletary's job. They just didn't have a smart, they didn't have a good run game. They pass protected well enough. Laramie Tunsil is amazing. But they just weren't good at run blocking, and the running backs weren't great. So that that was one defense. What do you think about what Sean Pendergast had to say? Is it just a young yeah, OC I'm, trying I'm, to I mean, that's just yeah. nitpicking. You know what I'm saying? Every coach is going to make stupid calls during a game. Uh, you know, it's hard to call a flawless football game. And so, you know, those type of comments pointing out stuff like that. Yeah, it's valid talking about guys having concussions and, and not wanting to do stuff like that. But but one, I mean, if you make a call like that and you think it's the right one and you're trying to win a playoff game, I mean, nobody's thinking about injury, past injuries. You're like, yo, we're trying to win this game. But, uh, Walker, I was going to ask you too, man, like what what do you think about the fact that we're, we're talking about these other candidates, but uh, according to the betting houses, they've got Kellen Moore as the odds-on favorite for well, this job. Well, so I saw that. It, it, I'm looking at a couple of different betting houses, and the one I think you're looking at I is from – bet online. Yeah, and I think that's from January 17th. I'm looking at some other ones, and I see some other guys ahead. Like, I'm, you know, we could pick this up. I can go to FanDuel, and we can get drum, drum. Go look at the odds, <laughs> the updated odds. So, like, here on bookies.com, I see Frank Smith as a plus 450, McDonald, Callahan, Munkin, Averro, and I don't see even more on the line right now. I don't think Kellen Moore is going to be, because he's not interviewing. At first, I thought it was a great name to bring up, mm-hmm. but we haven't heard anything about Kellen Moore interviewing. That would have happened at some point, I would imagine. So I don't think it's going to be Kellen Moore, and I think maybe the odds just aren't updated as much as some of these, just because it doesn't make sense, mm-hmm. right? With everybody else having interviewed, with Callahan going for a second interview, I would think the odds would favor those guys more so. And this website that has Smith 450, McDonald 500, Callahan 550, Munkin 700, Ben Johnson 1200, where Ben Johnson is wanted, but he can't go through a second interview because you can't do that when you're getting ready for a conference championship game. They've already had one, which is nice. At least we got in the door. None of this Jim Harbaugh, Bill Belichick stuff where you don't even get to speak to him. You at least have one interview, but we will have to wait on that second interview at least until after the conference championship game. Last thing I wanted to focus on real quickly here. Somebody asked on the text line, Wes, Mr. Research said the Joe person article on the athletic talking about Dan Morgan Mm -hmm. being a possible candidate to be that GM is concerning. And so here's what Mr. Research is talking about. As we go to the Joe person article, wrote a couple of highlights from it. He was interviewed for a second time. He's been a part of the hiring process the entire, uh, entire time. So that's alongside telling to me. Yeah, it is vice president of player personnel, Adrian Wilson and director of player personnel, Cole Spencer. Those guys would all seem to suggest that Tepper is considering keeping at least some of the members of the front office during the transition because Dan Morgan's getting a second interview. You have those other guys, Adrian Wilson and Cole Spencer, a part of the process. And so there are some in league circles, according to Joe person 
that believe, quote, David Tepper could be looking to pair Morgan with an executive with a salary cap and contracts background, such as Alec Hallaby of the Philadelphia Eagles organization or Kansas City Chiefs vice president of football operations, Brant Tillis, who interviewed with the Panthers this year and in 2021 before Scott Fitterer was hired. So that's the piece that Mr. Research is talking about. Would you be concerned if Dan Morgan was the guy? Um, just like I said, I, I think if you want to get rid of the old regime, you need to get every everybody associated with that old regime out of there. And I think how close he is to Fitterer. Uh, you see this sometimes in the corporate world. That's one of the reasons why they ask you, are you related to uh, somebody that has worked or is currently working at a company? And they ask you uh, things like that because sometimes companies don't want to deal with that and some of the politics that go with that. And so I think that when you have a guy, you know, that's such close friends with your previous GM, I just optics wise, I don't think it's a great look. And also too, just, you know, thinking about, okay, well, how much is he going to talk to Fitter about what's going on here? How much influence could Fitter potentially have over him, especially with him? I know he's been a scout for a while, but getting his feet wet in getting to the big chair, uh, how much could that be the case as well? And so I think that if you want to just get rid of everything that was associated uh, with him, I think that Morgan should not be a part of this process. But the fact that he's there and he's these interviews and stuff kind of tells me all yeah. I need to know. Well, yeah, and even if he's not the general manager, he's going to be with this team. Yeah. Right? You can't. How weird would that be if he was going to be interviewing or at least a part of the interview process with some of these coaching hiring candidates? Yeah. And then you let him go? I mean, I guess if you really wanted a coach and they just couldn't stand Dan Morgan, maybe you would make that move, but... I mean, I'm just creating something kind of crazy at that point. Mm -hmm. I don't know how Dan Morgan isn't a part of this organization if he is involved in the process. And then we'll see about Adrian Wilson. We'll see about Cole Spencer. I also don't know if he would be, if there would just be GM A and GM B or 1A, 1B if you bring in a cap guy. And I also don't know what that means about Samir Suleiman. I didn't see anything in that article referencing what his job would be. So, few more questions to be answered during this process as the Panthers continue to look for a new head coach and continue to look for a new GM. We can continue that conversation on the other side of the break. Maybe mention the Charlotte Hornets after losing the way they did against Philly, but getting the win on Friday night against San Antonio. Still plenty more to get to here on Wesson Walker. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. feeling about Dan Morgan possibly being your new GM? We don't know for sure. We just know that he's been a part of the hiring process, the interview process, according to Joe Person of The Athletic, discussing Dan Morgan's place and looking for a new head coach for Carolina. You can text us, 704-570-9610. DJ wrote in. He said Dan Morgan is an interim GM. His job is to be there, just like it was Tabor's job to coach games as an interim. That's a good point. Well, sure, 
But I just think if you weren't going to be involved long term, I, I don't know why you would include him in term or not. Yeah, wouldn't you just even if is he in, is he interim GM for like three weeks? You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. Scott Fitter was the GM until the season ended, so it would make sense that Chris Tabor. You got to have somebody coach the team, but do you have? You can make it three four weeks without a GM, right? Yeah. Right before before moves are even allowed to happen. So I don't know, but it is possible that you just, it, it, it would be one of those things where Dan Morgan is training his replacement, which is always really weird. And that would be a problem, but I don't think Dan Morgan is going to go anywhere. Maybe he's right, but I don't think you're going to have an interim GM for three, four weeks while you're searching for a head coach and then get rid of him. If you are a part of this process, then I think you're going to be a part of the future. What did y'all think of him being a part of the hiring process in the past? And, could y'all maybe see Dan Morgan being one of uh, Tepper's snitches during the season this past year that was running and tattletelling on the coaches? Um, I could see that. I mean, based off what we know about Tepper and how he likes to keep yes men around and things of that nature. I mean, it seems like Morgan and uh, Tepper and his wife and all that have a close relationship, so I wouldn't doubt it. Well, I mean, Dan Morgan and Scott Fitterer are best friends. Joe Person talked about right. that, not only with us, but also in the Athletic article. So, I don't think that's more Dan Morgan stuff because I don't know how much Dan was working with Frank Reich for game planning. It seems like the guys that stayed on board were the snitches with Chris Tabor, who David Tepper really likes. Remember, we also asked Joe about some of these coaching holdovers. That's not why he likes Tabor, is it? Well, Tabor's good at his job, too. I don't want to overlook that. I think he's good as a special teams coordinator, but also... If I were to put together the pieces, I would say Chris Tabor was probably one of these guys texting. And maybe Thomas Brown, too. And then we'll see if he moves on. But, you know, that's reckless speculation, and I have zero sourcing on that. It would also live up to my theory that he's a real-life Randall from Monsters, Inc. Because Randall was a bad guy in Monsters, Inc. And maybe Chris Tabor, who gives the the, the you know the appearance of a nice guy because he's so soft-spoken. But maybe behind closed doors... Maybe he's a villain. You know, Fiddy has gone with this Chris Tabor looks like Randall thing for a while. <laughs> and other people have signed off on it. I think you said it to Kyle. And yeah. Kyle actually was like, you know what? That's an excellent point. And I kind of see it too. And I don't know why I agree. It. I think you're right. I don't know why I see it as well. But I do expect. It's the eyes. I think it might be. I expect Chris Tabor to go camouflage and then just go back into the backdrop and we're not able to see him anymore. On a scale of one to ten, how attracted are you to Chris Tabor? Uh, He would be outside of my top five. (laughs) (laughs) I told you there's a big old gap between Dave Canales and everybody else. (laughs) But Chris Tabor, not ugly. I don't want to tell you that. Chris Tabor, decent looking enough guy. Just would be six overall. All right. I I don't want to don't want to talk about this anymore. Shame on you, Fiddy, for bringing that up. I did want to go back to somebody that was on the list, Brian Callahan. Brian Callahan getting a second interview. Raheem Morris, I believe, also getting a second interview. That was just reported earlier today. What do you make of some of these guys getting a second chance, Wes? Callahan being the prediction from Dan Graziano, and now all of a sudden he's third, at least in the odds of the website that I just looked at. Mm-hmm. Would that be underwhelming, lackluster to you, or are you kind of 50-50 on Callahan coming aboard? Um, Yeah, I mean, with coaches, you know, there have been so many instances where you think they've got the right guy, the perfect guy, home run, 
higher and then it ends up not working and then they get a guy who doesn't have as much fanfare and you're just like man what is this guy going to do and he comes in and is a great coach so I'll say all that to say that uh, as far as just the, the, the sizzle meter does it bring the juice uh, not particularly but also his pedigree his father you know comes from a, a line of NFL coaching and so um, and then what he did with Cincinnati's offense after Burrow was gone, still had them competing, still had them putting up numbers, playing at a high level. So, I mean, I, I would go into it with an open mind. I'd say that much. It wouldn't be yeah. something where I just like, oh, this is a trash high, this and a third. I'd come into it with an open mind and be like, hey, let's see what he's got. Well, because this is the point. Bobby Slowick didn't call an offense two years ago. Yeah. And then he's calling the Houston offense last year, and now he's a candidate. So when we go for the guy that's not necessarily calling the plays, it's okay to be a little skeptical on how he's going to do his first year calling those plays. But you know that smart minds can come from wherever, even if it's just constructing an offensive game plan. He's been with Cincinnati for a while. You are, you one, you're a part of the Callahan tree because you're literally his son. And right. so... There's one, you know, you've been around football for a while. (laughs) This guy comes. Can you imagine if that's how we described nepotism? You know, he comes from the Callahan tree. He's been with Callahan since he was in diapers. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like he's been coaching the offensive line his whole life. He was there on the field at five he years old. He was the old. second person he ever saw in this world. It was, it was yes. First was the doctor. Second was dad crying over there in the corner of the hospital room. Okay. That's how much this guy is dedicated to football. He wanted to be Bill Callahan's son. I just talked myself into Brian Callahan being the head coach. But we we don't know what he can do. And if you come from what has been a smart offense, Joe Goodberry, he likes him a lot. If you see what he wrote about him on Twitter, players love him. That they would scrap run plan or running running game plans every single week and construct something different going into each game. You had to conduct a different offense with Browning under center. Moving along with Joe Burrow, who was much more wild. You just got to let him do his thing in the pocket. Like, it's intriguing to me, especially with the whole Slowick thing. Nobody was talking about Slowick at all a year ago. Nobody was. And now he's one of the hottest candidates out there. So I'd be interested. And then the other thing is Bill Callahan's actually with the Cleveland Browns right now. Bill Callahan might be coming alongside his son to coach here with Carolina. If they move on from James Campen who I used to love as an offensive line coach, but didn't work out that well this year. Bill Callahan, noted as one of the better OL coaches in NFL history. Yeah, he is. And you look at what he did with Cleveland, too. Cleveland's offensive line is very good. And so how enticing would that be? Like, you bring daddy to help you alongside. I'm with it. Yeah, that'd be good. So if he leaves Cleveland and, and they're actually interviewing offensive line coaches in anticipation just getting ready in case Brian Callahan gets a job. Yeah, man, maybe the whole I'm bringing my daddy alongside with me, maybe that's something enticing for this team. Yeah, no doubt about it. And we've seen it with a few different franchises. I mean, the 49ers of note as well. I mean, we we know that they talk about Kyle, but we've heard how much behind the scenes that Mike helps him with game planning and things of that nature. Uh, and so I think that that's an added bonus to have a guy like that with that wealth of experience that Callahan has to help his son get acclimated. He's been a head coach before. 
uh, so he can help his son get acclimated into the role, too. And, you know, you wouldn't have to worry about necessarily some of that dissension unless they have a real toxic family uh, household. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to worry about bringing on <laughs> a former head coach that's got an ego and an axe to grind. And maybe it's just waiting for that second to try to undermine you. You got dad over there and he's going to be there to do nothing but help him. So I think that is a benefit to hiring Callahan as a candidate. I don't have an axe to grind. I know a certain basketball team that has been grinding with their pickaxes. The Charlotte 49ers get a big old win this week. Big old win. If you look at the top of the conference standings, Mm -hmm. you will see the Charlotte 49ers right front and center. Talk that talk, man. Talk your talk. They've been down for a while. They're in first place. You can talk your talk right now. Feel the fern, baby. Yeah. Feel it. Aaron Fern has this team balling, and we are going to talk about the Charlotte 49ers on the other side of the break and maybe an important ACC matchup later on tonight between the Heels and the Demon (laughs) Deacons. It's all coming up next in the Campus Corner, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.